welcome to the Book of Mormon Evidence podcast with host Rod Meldrum. This week's Come Follow Me supplemental study is Lesson 6.2, Second Nephi 1-5, through We Lived After the Manner of Happiness. Rod's special guest this week is favorite professor emeritus of philosophy at BYU, Chauncey C. Riddle. He wrote a book called Think Independently, How to Think in This World But Not Think With It. Brother Chauncey's three key questions of both philosophy and religion, how do we know, what is the nature of God, man, and the universe, and what is good or right? Welcome to another edition of the Book of Mormon Evidence uh, podcast. We are very excited. We have a special guest with us today. Uh, today, we are going to be going into uh, lesson number six, and this is uh, Second Nephi chapters one through five. So uh, this is what we're going to be talking about. And I uh, uh, want to thank you for joining us here. We have a special guest with us today, and uh, this is Chauncey Riddle. And uh, I'm going to have uh, Chauncey, uh, many of you may already know him. Um, he is beloved by probably hundreds of thousands, but... Uh, but he has been an anchor in the church for a long time, and specifically at BYU. But uh, Johnson, would you tell us a little tell us a little bit about your background? I born in Utah, raised in California, Nevada. Went to BYU and been around BYU ever since. So it's been a great. I taught at BYU for forty years, which is a great blessing to my life. So at BYU, I taught philosophy and religion. But the main thing I did was try to understand the ways of the Lord, which has been the great harvest of my life, is to finally come to a beginning of understanding what we're dealing with. Uh, I'm reading a book now which is showing me that I haven't got there yet. But uh, <laughs> it's, it's wonderful to belong to a church and a religion where there's so much to learn, so much to be done, and so much to be accomplished. And I, I, I'm grateful to be alive in the church when the church is moving. I think it's moving towards Zion, which is very gratifying to me. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, in, in, in uh, talking with, with Chauncey to begin with, I, um, I asked him, I said, what uh, would be a favorite subject of yours to, 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 to share with our audience? And, uh, and pretty much without hesitation, he said, uh, Second Nephi chapter 2. And so I am really excited about hearing the wisdom and knowledge that you have been able to gain over your lifetime of experience and service within the church. Um, we're grateful for that experience, and we're also grateful for the opportunity to uh, to learn at your hand here. So let's, uh, if you'd like to go ahead, and we will uh, start. So if you want to go ahead and uh, if you have your scriptures handy, go ahead and pull them up to Second uh, uh, Nephi chapter two. And Chauncey, take Thank it you. away. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'd like to begin with verse 2. I won't read every word, but just certain phrases as we go. He, God, shall consecrate thine afflictions for thy gain. This is Lehi talking to his son Jacob, pointing out that nothing will happen to Jacob except it's the Lord's plan for him. One of the great truths of the restored gospel is that everything that happens in our lives is the hand of the Lord. And he tells us, be sure you don't forget to remember that. <laughs> he says, those that will not acknowledge his hand in all things are not in very good shape. So are you saying the good things and the bad things? The good things and the bad things. The bad things all turn out to be good things. Because 
our, our, the, paths, the path of, of life for each of us is carefully crafted by God himself to give us the maximum opportunity to come back to him and fulfill our eternal opportunities. So everything that happens to us is for our good. Every, every accident, every difficulty, every pain, every sorrow, and every happiness is all designed to give us this opportunity to come back to God and receive at his hand all things. Verse 3, Lehi says to Jacob, Thou art redeemed because of the righteousness of thy Redeemer. I think it's so important to remember that none of this could we receive on our own. Everything we have comes because the Savior himself came to this earth, lived a mortal life with all the temptations that we have and more, and succeeded in keeping the Father's commandments in all things. And only because he was fully righteous, never giving in to Satan once, can he then save us and help us not to give in to Satan anymore. Verse 4, The Spirit is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and the way is prepared from the fall of man and salvation is free. The Holy Spirit is the great treasure. It's the pearl of great price. And the great gift that we receive when we become members of the church is to receive the promise of the gift of the Holy Ghost. And if we receive that, then all things that God has available to us become ours for the choosing if we will follow the Holy Spirit. Now the great problem is that we also like to do our own will. And that's where Satan comes in. Uh, we have the choice between doing what we want to do or doing what God would have us do, which is the right thing to do. And the key we have for that is our conscience. Our conscience is the voice, is the light of Christ or the Holy Ghost, whichever is it, one of those two things in our life. And if we follow conscience, then we can find the way of salvation. And salvation is free. That is to say, it doesn't cost us anything except the humility to follow God instead of our own will. Men are sufficiently instructed in verse 5 that they know good from evil, and the law is given unto men. And by the law no flesh is justified, or by the law men are cut off. There's not one of us that can keep all the laws of God all the time, like the Savior did. But nevertheless, we have a Savior to save us from the fact that we do make mistakes that we do sometimes serve Satan and thereby lose our salvation. By the temporal law they're cut off, that is to say, man dies spiritually, and by the spiritual law they perish from that which is good to become miserable forever. The word miserable is interesting. To me it means little. Uh, Satan became miserable, uh, and he seeks that all men might be miserable like unto himself. Uh, in his misery, he is, he is damned. That is to say, he can receive no further blessing from our Heavenly Father. And so in this life, as we choose the way of God, we choose the way of fullness and life and love and happiness, or we choose the way of Satan, which is the way of misery, which is to be small, but to get to do exactly what we want to do, not have to pay any attention to anybody else. Is that where they term small, being small-minded comes from? I think it must be related, <laughs> yes. Being small-minded and, and misery are very related. Wherefore, redemption cometh in and through the Holy Messiah, for he is full of grace and truth. Grace means gift, and his gifts to men are what make it possible for them to be saved. 
And he's also the great source of truth. He is the truth. And through his, his representative, the Holy Ghost, we can learn the truth of all things. Seven. Can we, can we jump in there for just a second? We're talking about truth there. Um, interestingly enough, just in the in the in the earlier verse here in um, in verse four, it said, "For the Spirit is the same yesterday, today, and forever," which is basically the past, the present, and the future. And the definition of truth is that that things that are true have to be true in the past, in the present, and in the future. As as, as, every, as things are, as they were, and as they are to. Or will yes. become. If we know the truth, then we will learn the way things were, as they are, and as they will be. Yeah. And as we pay attention to the Savior and to the Holy Ghost, we learn those truths and thus are able to guide our lives intelligently. Yeah. And he says, For he is full of both grace and truth, which means that he is consistent. He is the same past, present, and future. The source of all good things for us. Amen. He offered himself a sacrifice to answer the ends of the law. The Savior came to this world to do one particular thing, which was to die for our sins. That is to say, to suffer for our sins and then die. Mm -hmm. And thus, these two things are the, are the atonement of Christ. He suffers for every breaking of sin that every human being has ever committed. Now that's a big order. I can't fathom how anyone could <laughs> suffer that much especially in one 24-hour period to do that. Yeah. But, and he also died willingly and thus seized the keys of death from Satan and is able to resurrect all men. Mm -hmm. He had to command his spirit to leave his body because he could not die as a god even though he had a mortal body as a man. Right. And so he had to literally command his spirit to leave. His mother's heritage was that he could die. His father's yes. heritage was he didn't he have to die. <laughs> but he chose to die, as you say, right. so that he could fulfill the purposes for which he was sent. Yes. So, Lehi says, how great the importance to make these things known in verse 8. There is no flesh that can dwell in the presence of God, save it be through the merits and mercy and grace of the Holy Messiah. The merits are his strengths, his abilities. His mercy is his forgiveness toward us and his grace is his gifts. Who layeth down his life according to the flesh and taketh it again by the power of the Spirit that he may bring to pass the resurrection of the dead, being the first that should rise. Very fitting that he should be the first that should ever come back from the dead. Wherefore he is the first fruits unto God, and, as, and he shall make an intercession for all the children of men, and they that believe in him shall be saved. Now this believe is not just thinking, oh yes, he might be. It's really believing to the point that we obey him with a humble, with a broken heart and a contrite spirit. 10, because of the intercession for all men, all men come unto God. Wherefore, they stand in the presence of him to be judged according to the truth and holiness which is in him. Because the Savior suffered for all men, he has the right to call them to the bar of justice and to there they may account for all their deeds and he having suffered for them if he chooses can forgive them of their sins and if they have been humble and repented he will forgive all of those who are so 
as I, as I understand that, is it is it this is something that uh, that I learned not very long ago um, from a couple of dear friends of mine that uh, they uh, they said um, if you can picture this in your mind, basically at the judgment bar of God, that you will stand before Elohim and Christ if you have repented if you have followed him if you, if, if, if you have had him as your redeemer will stand before the Father and will vouch for you be your advocate be your advocate with the Father I just can't even imagine how that must how that will be in that day um, when when you stand before God the Father and Christ is basically begging for mercy for you, if you will. Yes. And he but, is and he is paying the price. But justifiably I will pay the price. Because having repented of our sins, being sorry for what we've done, then Christ can be reasonably he he can reasonably plead with the Father that we be forgiven yep. because we have shown that we did not really want to do those things and would yeah. not do them again. We've yeah. shown that through our repentance. And so Christ makes this intercession and all men stand before in the presence of God to be judged of him according to the truth and holiness. Wherefore the ends of the law which the Holy One hath given unto the inflicting of the punishment which is affixed which punishment is affixed in opposition to that happiness which is affixed to answer the ends of the atonement. So this is the basic alternative every human being has, to do what's right or to do what we want to do. We know what's right by the light of Christ, by the gifts of God, and then we get Satan on the other hand telling us, oh, you go ahead and do what you want to do instead. And so this is the basic choice, and every human being is free to make that choice. Hopefully over the course of time, we also learn that we want to do good. So that our, our our desire is to do good continually, and then uh, and then we hopefully will will stop sinning so much. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully our own desires will be only to serve God. Yes, which means only to bless our neighbor. Yeah, serving God is not. I like to make the point that there's preparing to serve God, and then there's serving God, yeah. praying, and repenting, and taking the sacrament and reading the scriptures are all preparations for serving God. Yeah, serving God is blessing the lives of other people, relieving their suffering and their, and their, their problems yeah. through, the, through whatever ability we have to do so. Yeah, in, in, the, in some of the previous uh, podcasts, we've talked about how the gospel is the saving of yourself, but the fullness of the gospel is the outward looking towards others. When, when you are saved, then you want to save your brethren. And, and just uh, in, the, in the last couple of podcasts, we've talked about the tree of life and how as soon as Lehi partake of the fruit what was the first thing he wanted to do share it share it first with his family and then with everyone else and how saddened he was when everybody else when, when he saw so many people who wandered off into strange paths and were lost in the mists of darkness and uh, so that's really apropos verse 11 is a great philosophical point it must needs be there's an opposition in all things if not so, righteousness could be brought to pass, neither wickedness, neither holiness, nor misery, neither good nor bad. Opposition is what makes existence possible. The fact that there's 
difference in smell. We can't smell if there's only one smell. <laughs> what we smell is the difference between this smell and the one that comes. <laughs> if there's a difference, then we can smell. Same with sight. We don't see one thing. If, if everything were exactly the same color and hue and shade, we wouldn't see anything. But because there are differences, we see things. Same with hearing. What we hear is differences. So there must be opposition in all things. And the opposition to righteousness, of course, is necessary for righteousness to exist. Because if there's no opposition, there's no corruption or incorruption, neither happiness nor misery, neither sense nor insensibility. And so Heavenly Father had a plan. And his plan was that he would send into this creation that his son had created at his direction a Satan an opposition that would give men the chance to choose. 13, if you shall say there's no law, you shall say there's no sin. If you say there's no sin, you shall say there's no righteousness. If there be no righteousness, there be no happiness. <laughs> so this opposition had to be exist in the earth that men might be free to choose. And if these things are not, there be no God. If there's no God, we are not, neither the earth, for there could have been no creation, neither to act nor to be acted upon, wherefore all things must have vanished away. So that there were no differences, if there were no differences between God and Satan, there'd be no point in having either. But there is a difference, and we do exist, and we are, are we we know we exist because we are, live and suffer and think and feel and have the chance to choose, and this is our great glory, that we are the children of God, having the opportunity to become free, and to become as He is. Can I ask you a, a kind of a philosophical question? What role does Satan play in this then? Because without Satan, there would be no sin, possibly, I guess. So, I think sin is possible without Satan. Yeah. But what Satan does is he spring-loads the option. That is to say, he makes it necessary that we really choose that we are strongly tempted to do evil, every one of us, so that when we do choose right, it's a real commitment, and we have to overcome something. We have to pay a price to choose righteousness. Otherwise, if it were easy and simple and there were no opposition, it wouldn't really be as important. It's like uh, in a physical contest. When one football team plays another and the one is very weak, there's not much glory in having 100 to 1 <laughs> having one. Uh, score. <laughs> But when the other team is strong, then it really makes a difference that you have a hundred and one score. Yes. To one score. So that makes Satan is here to make sure that we have ample opportunity to make a free choice between good and evil. Wow. Now, my sons, I speak unto you and tell you there is a God. He hath created all things, both the heavens and the earth, things to act and things to be acted upon. Now, the things that are acted upon are things like the rocks and the plants and the animals. But men are created to be free, that is to say, to choose for themselves in this thing that God has given us. And there must be an opposition, even the forbidden fruit in opposition to the tree of life, the one being sweet and the other bitter. I've always wondered which one is the sweet and which one is the bitter. <laughs> and my, my guess is that the tree of life well, I'm not sure. I think he wavers <laughs> on this because uh, Satan, we know that Eve reported that the fruit of the tree was sweet. 
Yes. It's possible that it was sweet compared to anything else she tasted, but that when she tastes the tree of life, it would be much, much sweeter. That's the possibility <laughs> that exists, but I don't know that that's the case. Yeah. But anyway, an angel of the Lord, in verse 17, had fallen from heaven and became a devil and sought evil before God. And he sought the misery of all mankind, in verse 18. And he said to Eve, Partake of the forbidden fruit, and you shall not die, but you shall be as God, knowing good and evil. He lied to her, of course, that she would not die. Yep. But she was taken by the argument and partook. And that's why how she was deceived. And after Adam and Eve had partaken of the forbidden fruit, they were driven out of the Garden of Eden to till the earth. And they did die. They died that very day spiritually. So the saying of God was fulfilled. And they gave, brought forth children, yea, even all the family of all the earth. This is an important point. I, my belief is that every human being on earth is descended from Adam and Eve. And that there were no humans prior to Adam and Eve. Now, there's a lot of controversy on this, especially in the, the halls of learning. But uh, I think that this chapter helps us to understand the real origin of Adam and Eve and the human race. So the days of men were prolonged, 21, according to the will of God, they might repent while in the flesh. Wherefore, their state became a state of probation. We are proving here who we really are. Our father already knew who we were, and we don't, we don't surprise him. What we're doing is we're proving to ourselves what we are and what we really deserve. And when we stand at the bar of judgment, it will be very plain, simply from looking back in our own memory, which will be refreshed and we'll remember everything we've said and done. Mm -hmm. And we will know exactly what we deserve and we, President Clark said, we'll be heading for our own stall because we know exactly where we belong. <laughs> in, that, in that sense, I guess, we kind of judge ourselves then. Uh, exactly. And God's judgment, so forth, is only to confirm what we already will know, exactly where we belong. I had, I had a friend of mine, he said, you know, he said, um, if given the choice, would most people choose to be in the celestial kingdom? And, uh, and, he, and he said... Uh, he said, actually, he said, for some people, being in the continual presence of God would be so uncomfortable, it would be almost painful. And so uh, so some people would actually choose not to be, but there are those who who may choose to be, um, that, that they, they want to be, um, to, to basically sup with God, if you will, to be able to live with Him in His presence. But there are those who um, are the more celestial or terrestrial that may may be more comfortable not having to be in his presence all the time. There's something that's happened in the church that makes this very plain. Huh? Uh, can you imagine going to the celestial kingdom and being asked to minister and not wanting to minister? Our church, the, the brethren have asked us now to minister to our fellow men and have told us there are no deadlines, no timelines. You just have to report once a quarter. And many people have not done any ministering since that announcement. What they're showing is they don't want to be in the celestial kingdom. Because in the celestial kingdom, you have to be serving others all constantly. Yeah. And they would be very uncomfortable there. So what each of us gets to demonstrate right here and now what kingdom we belong to. 
and those who love to minister to others and give of their substance to the poor, they're the ones that will enjoy the celestial glory because that's what we'll be doing forever. Well, Chauncey, do you see a, um, a shift, as, as I do and so many other people do, a, a, a pretty profound shift with, um, with uh, President Nelson uh, taking the reins, if you will, of the, of the church and, and basically moving forward. I don't know that it's necessarily just because of him. Maybe it's because of the Lord. But, uh, but I get the feeling that the Lord and his prophet needs to have a people who can discern truth, who can choose for themselves the right from the wrong. Not the, discern not, true truth. Not lean on so much the brethren in the church to, to make the decisions for them, but to actually uh, learn how to discern the Spirit and use the, the Holy Spirit to make decisions and to know the truth. Yes, what President Nelson keeps emphasizing to us is to get the Spirit and then act on it and do what the Lord would have us do. It's the doing that counts. Getting the Spirit is a means to an end. Yes. But doing the, administering the blessings through the instructions that come through the Holy Ghost is what counts. And he's emphasized we need to have power in the priesthood. Not very many people have power in the priesthood. And it's because they don't like to do the works of righteousness. They don't like to fast. They don't like to deny themselves the things they want to do. Yeah. And when we de won't deny ourselves the pleasures of the flesh that we want in order to have the Spirit with us, we don't have much power. Could you give us maybe just a couple of quick insights as to how you, how you go about having <laughs> that Spirit in your life? Because... Um, Obviously, you, you've, you've been able to uh, master that, at least to a high degree. I think one of the real keys is to do what we promised to do in the sacrament, to remember him always. I think if there's ever a minute when we forget that we are servants of Jesus Christ sent into this world to do good, if we forget that for just a moment, Satan has access to us. Mm. But if we keep that in mind and look for the opportunity to bless somebody, wherever we are, whatever we're doing, our, our, we're scanning the horizon constantly to see what the Spirit will tell us as to who to help. When you walk down the street in a big city, often there are panhandlers. Uh -huh. It's important to know which ones to give money to and which not. Yeah. Because some of them... And how are you going to know if you don't have the Spirit? If you have the Spirit, you'll know. Yeah. And those who have the Spirit find that sometimes there are some of those panhandlers they want to give money to because it's right. It's the thing God wants. Because they truly are needy. Others, not. Yeah. So we have to discern. And the only way to discern, we can't make the discernment ourselves. We, we could, but we would never be right. But when we do it by the Holy Spirit, it is right. After Adam and Eve partaken of the forbidden fruit, they were driven out of the garden. And they're driven into a world which is a fallen world. And I think the fact that we live in a fallen world and are fallen people ought to be on the forefront of everyone's mind. Because here we are, subject to Satan, uh, things don't just automatically turn out for the good of mankind. We have to work, build, uh, prune, weed, build, uh, construct, all kinds of things no, I, I, for I, I the do. betterment of mankind. <laughs> I have to break in for just a second now. Those of you who don't know uh, Chauncey, as I as I have had the opportunity, um, when he talks about pruning and weeding and so forth, 
um, your home had <laughs> a huge, huge garden and, and all, it was, it, I mean, it literally looked like a, a, a garden place. And uh, so I know that you know exactly what, uh, where with you speak when you're talking about pruning and, and tilling and gardening and, and uh, those kinds of things. <laughs> yes, I know firsthand a little bit about that. But, and I'm grateful for the chance God has given us to make this world a Garden of Eden if we choose. Yeah. I'm very sympathetic with those who believe in, in cleaning up nature and preserving nature. What I don't like is the fact they make a political thing out of it. Yeah. But if we would be honestly interested in the welfare of this earth and keeping it clean and pure, we'd do a lot of things differently. But many people just use that as a political ax to beat somebody else. Exactly. Now, if Adam transgressed, had not transgressed, he would not have fallen, but would have remained in the Garden of Eden. This is 22. All things which were created must have remained in the same state which they were after they were created. And they must have remained forever and had no end. Now that verse tells me that there, there would have been no death on the earth right. had there not been a fall. This, in fact, it even said that there was no death on the earth prior to the fall. The, this fact, of course, flies in the face of everything that the natural man would like to believe. The natural man wants to believe that we evolved from some lesser form of being through millions of years. We don't know there have been millions of years. We, we know that the fall of Adam was quite recent in human mm -hmm. terms, uh, like 6,000 years ago, mm -hmm. and that we are now beginning the 7,000 years, which and the soon the millennial will come, and people will know the truth of these things, whereas now they only have to, they have to believe either through the Spirit or through listening to the source of lies. Well, you know, we in, in some of the, our prior podcasts, we've talked about the great and spacious building of Lehi's uh, vision and, uh, and, and how the vast majority of people, uh, it seemed like they, 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 were, they were numberless as far as the, the numbers of people who were in the, this great and spacious building which had no foundation. And their, one of, it seems like one of their main purposes was to basically try to get people to to shy away from the uh, their experience, the spiritual experience that they had as they partook of the fruit, and to try to get them to either not go to the tree and not pick up, not not partake of the fruit, but those who had partaken of the fruit to get them to be ashamed of the fact that they had partaken of the fruit. And when you consider the numbers involved, <laughs> somebody said one time that. Um, that the, the fact that there's a, a, a highway to hell but only a stairway to heaven tells you a little bit about the, uh, the approximate numbers expected <laughs> in both of those things. So I think that uh, those who are the humble followers of Christ, if you, if you expect to be a humble follower of Christ, you are probably not going to be with the main, with the main crowd, with the main group. The world is not going to recognize you as being one of them you're going to be an outsider. You're going to be an outcast, and the sooner we get that in our in our mind and be and be willing to be an outcast for Christ, if we will, if we need to, which is going to be necessary. I think I don't I don't see any way you can be a part of the great and spacious building and still partaking of the tree and enjoying the fruit. Yeah, it's yeah. not possible. You have to choose one or the other. That's right. I like the fact that you emphasize the word humble. When the Savior came to the Nephites. Twice, the first, the first thing he told them was, and he told them two separate verses, 
You have to become as a little child. If you're not willing to be humble before me, you cannot be saved. And I think that's the key to the, everything mm-hmm. that's good in the church and in the kingdom of God today. Yeah. Those who refuse to be humble and be as little children will sooner or later partake of the things of the world and will fall away. But those who are willing to be little children, be led by the Spirit, and be teachable by the brethren and by the Spirit, they will be the ones that will be saved. Had Adam and Eve not fallen, 23, they would have had no children. They would have remained in a state of innocence, having no joy, for they knew no misery, doing no good, for they knew no sin. Now, it takes that opposition, it takes the opportunity to sin, to be righteous. If there's no opportunity to sin, righteousness means nothing. Mm-hmm. But when the pressure to sin is powerful, the opposition is great, then choosing righteousness is very worthwhile. And a very, it shows that our hearts are in the right place and that we can be trusted. The main thing Heavenly Father is trying to decide, uh, to discern and help us discern for ourselves is can he trust us with his power or not? He wants to give us all the power that he has, all the knowledge that he has, all the opportunities that he has. But we can only take those if we will act as he does, which is to say never to misuse them, yeah. only to bless, never to curse. My understanding of God is he does not, everything, the so-called curses of God are all blessings. Yeah. He, he curses the wicked only to bring them back to him. And he, he causes suffering and sin only to bring people to their senses. He causes suffering. Not, not, he doesn't cause sin, but he, he allows sin and suffering so that he can bring us to our senses so that we can choose him in the way of righteousness. That's 24, good. all things have been done in the wisdom of him and knoweth all things. Adam fell that men might be and men are that they might have joy. But not all men get joy. They don't get joy because we are free and we can only get joy if we choose it and choose very forcefully to overcome evil and do good in this life. Joy comes in service. Joy comes in blessing the lives of others as we minister under the power of Jesus Christ to the, to the wants and needs of others. Yeah, so so I, I look at that and look at um, different of our, of our um, beloved leaders in the past. You know, I look at uh, how... Uh, Spencer W. Kimball, you know, President Kimball, he he suffered with so many different health afflictions. And then uh, watching Elder Neil A. Maxwell as he uh, as the uh, the cancer was was taking his his uh, abilities to uh, to continue on away, and seeing how these great men um, viewed and actually reacted to the suffering that they were going through, realizing that this is the refining process. And um, I had a, I had a, a person one time that mentioned to me. He said, "You know, I wonder if we actually chose many of the refining processes that we will go through in the preexistence. If we might have had a hand and a role, saying, you know, this is one of my weaknesses as a as a spirit child, <laughs> you know, if you will. That I know this is kind of a weakness of mine. I'm going to probably need to have a little bit of a shot in the arm or a kick in the behind, <laughs> you know." Um, when I get down to the earth, and so, Lord, I, I I want you to do this for me. Make make this hard, so that I have to learn the these things. Savior's willing to oblige. 
<laughs> if you if you ask for uh, for uh, for challenges, um, more than likely you're going to get them. Right. And even if you don't ask for challenges, you're still going to get them if you still if you want to serve God. So if you, if you think that a life of no challenges is is a good thing, brothers and sisters, it's the worst thing that could probably happen to you Look at is Joseph. to have a simple, easy life. Joseph Smith had everything, but not, not, didn't have a single easy day of his life, I suppose. <laughs> but uh, he was the great prophet that brought all these things to us. Yeah, and neither did Job, and that's why he probably got into the, uh, in, 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 why, he, why his his story ended up in the uh, in the Bible. Indeed. Verse 26, The Messiah cometh in the fullness of time, that he may redeem the children of men from the fall. And we need to be redeemed from the fall. Mm-hmm. And because they're redeemed from the fall, they need to be, they become free forever, knowing good from evil. Now we are free in the sense that we get our choice. We get to be good or evil because we know which is good and which is evil. We know which is good by the light of Christ. We know which is evil because Satan is always with us. Now good is not always with us because if we follow Satan, Eventually the time comes when the Lord stops striving with us and we lose all sense of what's good. But as long as we stay choosing the good, Satan never leaves us. We'll always have the chance to choose between good and evil if we're good. Uh-huh. So men are free, especially when they're good. <laughs> Those who, are, who choose evil sell themselves and lose their freedom. But those who choose the good stay free and remain free their whole lives. It's so interesting how that is the deception of, of Satan. That uh, a lot of a lot of especially young young people uh, think that uh, well, I don't want to be under these restrictions and I don't want to have to live these commandments and so forth, and uh, so I want to be free. Mm. Not realizing that by living the commandments, by following the the the, uh, the teachings of God. That gives you freedom, real freedom, real freedom in the in in the future. It may it may seem restrictive because you don't understand at this point because you're too uh, immature in your knowledge of the gospel. But as your knowledge matures and as you and as you age and you learn these things and you get more and more an understanding that that these things have been uh, like the prophets have talked about guardrails, you know, on a road. They're not they're not to keep you. Um, not, not not necessarily to restrict you, but to keep you from going off the cliff. <laughs> you know. And there's one step further. Mm-hmm. If we realize that the commandments of God are given because they lead to righteousness, and we want to serve and bless others, yeah. then we will we'll come to the point where we no longer want to do anything that is not God's will. Yeah. We'll let as we'll become as the Savior did. The Savior said, I seek not my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And when you and I come to that point where we say, I don't know what I should do, except I do what the Lord wants me to do. And the only thing I want to do is to serve God and bless the lives of others. When we come to that point, that's when we're really on the path. And if we stay on that path to the end, then God can give us everything. But if we say, well, I'm going to do what I want to do some of the time, but I'll serve God sometimes. That means we're we're headed for some form of damnation. That is to say, God will not be able to give us all of His power and all of His knowledge. He'll have to limit us 
according to how much good we were willing to do. That, that's, that's on a personal basis, but even on a national basis. I mean, is, is it possible that a nation can get to the point where they completely lose uh, the ability to discern what's good and what's bad? There's, technically, there's no such thing as a nation. That's a fiction of human minds. Mm-hmm. But they're only people. Yeah. But every person is in that and and the group can all do that. Yeah. And so in a sense, you could call it the nation then. Yeah. If everyone in the group chooses to be selfish and serve Satan, then they will lose their freedom. And yeah. that happens to many, many, yeah. in many places and many yep. times. Mm-hmm. Many times it happened to the Nephites and it's happening to us too. <laughs> That's right. Men will be free, but then they have to, they will be acted upon by the punishment of the law at the last day according to the commandments which God hath given. God is not only merciful, but he's just. He's just in the sense that his law is there, and he gives the law to everyone, and everyone is bound by it. And if we break his law, there must be a payment for that law. Christ is willing to make the payment for us if we'll repent of having done that. But if we will not repent, we must make the payment ourselves. And so God is just, but through Christ he is also merciful for those who repent. Wherefore men are free according to the flesh, and all things which are given to them which are expedient unto man. They are free to choose liberty and eternal life through the great mediator of all men, or to choose captivity and death according to the captivity and power of the devil. For he seeketh that all men might be miserable like unto himself. There's that miserable word again. Now you Yes. <laughs> you have a distinction between free and... Freedom yeah, and liberties. Would you like to expound on that a little bit? You bet. Absolutely. I, I have, um, over, the, over the number of years, I've had an opportunity to share, um, and, and ask, really it's a pretty simple question, what is the difference between freedom and liberty? And for most members of the church, they say, well, they're pretty much synonymous terms. I mean, you can kind of inter, intermix those two and not really worry about it too much. And I, I, I got curious about that, actually. And so if you, uh, if you have your annotated edition of the Book of Mormon here, this is on page uh, 216. Um, this is what uh, I found out um, that Noah Webster actually said, you know, what does Noah Webster's, uh, this is 1828 dictionary, the first uh, English dictionary um, that, that was available. And this is what uh, Noah Webster had to say about the, um, the difference between freedom and versus liberty. So the word free as a noun has, uh, in, in the reference number one, it says being at liberty, not being under necessity or restraint, either physical or moral. In other words, no moral or physical restraints is what being free is about. Uh, the, the number five says unconstrained, unrestrained, not under compulsion or control. A man is free to pursue his own choice. He enjoys free will. <coughs> So this is what being free is. And then freedom, of course, is that the state, a state of exemption from the power or control of another. Basically, being free means that no one has control over you. Or you can do what you want to do. You can be as good or as evil as you want to be. This is what freedom allows. But liberty, on the other hand, uh, in the first reference, it says freedom from restraint in a general sense and applicable to the body or to the will or mind. The body is at liberty when not confined, and the will or mind is at liberty when not checked or controlled. A man enjoys liberty when no physical force operates to restrain his actions or volitions. 
The second reference here is, it says, natural liberty consists in the power of acting as one thinks fit without any restraint or control. And this, is, this is the key right here. Except from the laws of nature. So what exactly are the laws of nature? Well, if you go back in the, in, and you take a look in and, uh, uh, the Noah Webster's Dictionary and you look up the laws of nature, it basically says that it's synonymous to the laws of God. It's essentially God's law. It says religious liberty, this is number five, religious liberty is the, the free right of adopting and enjoying opinions on religious subjects and of worshiping the supreme being according to the dictates of conscience without any external control. So essentially, the difference between freedom and liberty, according to Noah Webster's Dictionary, is freedom is you can do whatever you want. Liberty basically is freedom, but with some restraints, and that restraint is the law of God. What I find is absolutely fascinating, though, is that Joseph Smith, this young prophet of the Lord, in his translating of the Book of Mormon, <clears throat> was able to give us further light and knowledge through Alma here, this is when uh, it, it talks about this, and uh, but, it, but actually, excuse me, in Second Nephi here, this is now this is Nephi. So this this knowledge, this wisdom, actually is coming from the small plates of Nephi, which were not even a part of the original plates, the, the original uh, you know documents there. Of Lehi. Yeah, they weren't part of his large plates there, and uh, so and this is what he says here. And, it, and Chauncey already read this, but I just want to point out a couple of things. He says, "Wherefore men are free according to the flesh." So just by nature of being born, by the fact that we have been born into this world, we are free to choose. And uh, and and it, and it gives us the two choices. He says they are free to choose. The first choice is this: liberty and eternal life. Okay, and it continues on with according to the according through the great mediator of all men, or to choose, and this is choice number two, captivity and death. Which basically means that liberty is the conscientious choice to follow God. Freedom gives us that choice. Liberty is when we make the choice to follow God, and I think that's fascinating when you consider the fact that uh, in the Book of Mormon. Uh, Eight times the prophets of the Book of Mormon actually talk about that they would um, that they that in the latter days there was going to be a new nation that was going to be lifted up, raised up, and set up and established. And they talked about that nation being a land of liberty. And then we have the founding fathers of the of the United States of America actually um, talking about this being a land of liberty over and over again. We have, uh, in fact, we have a beautiful um, statue in the in the harbor there in New York with holding up a torch, and she's called the Statue of Liberty. And then there's this bell in Philadelphia, and we call that the Liberty Bell. But I want to hearken back again to the Book of Mormon here because the Book of Mormon has a a a, a, a military leader and prophet by the name of Captain Moroni, and he tries to get the people to remember the sacred covenant with God that's on this nation, the, the, the nation that he's, that he's now leading at the time, and he calls it the title of liberty. So an understanding of the difference between freedom and liberty can actually be a very powerful understanding. And even though Noah Webster did get it right, Nephi had it right 2,000 years before. Right. <laughs> and he put it right in this sacred book that we call the Book of Mormon. If we will study it and read it and ponder it and, uh, and, and, and review its, its messages, we can have so much 
truth and knowledge in our lives. Very good. Now, let's just give the summary that uh, Lehi gives to this matter in verses 28 and 29. My sons, I would that you should look to the great mediator, to Christ, and hearken unto his great commandments, and be faithful unto his words, and choose eternal life according to the will of his Holy Spirit. So eternal life is to do what God would have us do, which is to do the right thing, and not choose eternal death according to the will of the flesh. The will of the flesh is simply to do our own will, be selfish, and the evil which is therein, which giveth the devil, the spirit of the devil, power to captivate, to bring you down to hell, that he may reign over you in his own kingdom. Satan gets power and reigns over everybody who wants to be selfish, and God frees unto eternal life all those who are willing to be unselfish and work for the good of others through him. Leha says, I've spoken these few words, my sons, in the days of my the last days of my probation. He's just about to die. I have chosen the good part. I have none other object save it be the everlasting welfare of your souls. So he has explained these things to them very clearly so that they will be free to choose liberty through Christ or captivity through Satan. And they each made their choice. What a great... Uh great father, great leader, Lehi was. Indeed, one of the great prophets. And if we, uh, if we could follow his example and, uh, and be men of honor and men of courage and strength and, uh, and men who are willing to stand up and teach their families and to uh, be prophets, if you will, of their own homes, to, uh, to, to be led by the Spirit like Lehi was. What a tremendous example that we have of uh, Father Lehi as he led, leads his family through these trials and tribulations of their lives. Indeed. And uh, what, a, what a beautiful blessing that we have that Nephi um, was able to preserve these in his small, in his small set of plates. And, and again, I just find it absolutely amazing that, that uh, had the mistake if you will of the of the loss of the 116 pages we might not have had these words from the from 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 nephi because of the uh because of the uh of that so even that in, in, in and of itself i think is an example of how trials and tribulations you know you think of how how deeply um joseph smith felt that he had been basically um cast off from the Lord for his loss of the 116 pages, but yet look at the beautiful things that re, that resulted. Um, I, a couple of years ago, I actually uh, was speaking at a uh, at a, an event uh, with my friends Mike and Nancy James, and they asked me to speak about a particular thing, and they asked me, um, um, "What would you like to speak about?" And you know, something more personal, because I usually talk about the Book of Mormon, <laughs> things like that. And I and I and I and I thought about it and I prayed about it and they came up with this. Uh, the, the the name of my talk was my my miserable what was it? My miserable horrible life full of trials. <laughs> <laughs> and in and in the talk, I basically went through some of the things that I thought were some of the biggest trials of my life. But because of those trials, I had greater blessings that came after 
to the point where now looking back, I've had enough of you. I'm old enough now, and uh, Chauncey, I'm sure you can probably relate with this too. And you te- I'd love to have you to maybe give us a couple of examples from your life. But uh, but basically, I can see that through every trial, the reason why those those were happening was because on the other side of that, on the other end of that trial, greater blessings were were in every instance were 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 made. We have a, I have a thing on our fridge my wife put up there, and she says, sometimes when things are falling apart, it may just be God making things come together. <laughs> that's, that's, and uh, or, or you have to, sometimes things have to fall apart in order for those things to be put back together. And, uh, and so having, our, having um, uh, these, these trials in our lives um, are, are certainly not fun as we go through them. But uh, I think as you as you gain a perspective of, of of age and wisdom and knowledge, you start to realize that that every one of these trials, as they have happened, have led to greater blessings. If you have if you have any any particular one that you might want to share with us, and then we better better wrap it up. I use a cane now. I use a cane because of certain physical difficulties that I have. But what that's taught me is that I have to be very careful what I do. No missteps. Where you step, <laughs> you better be watching. <laughs> oh, be very careful that I don't do more than I should, travel more than I should, go where I should not. And I've become very conscious of the fact that I'm on a very short leash with the Lord. And if I'll do what He wants me to do, I have strength and power to do it. Uh-huh. If I don't, I don't. <laughs> yeah. So thank you. You're, you're, you are still an active. You still actively are still an active sealer in the temple. Is yes. So, which is a great privilege, and I don't know if you'd. Well, you probably shouldn't tell, you know, your age there, but, uh, but uh, <laughs> just turned ninety three. So. Ninety three, brothers and sisters, and uh, and going strong and still ser- serving his fellow man in the temple, and he has served so many wonderful students at BYU, and and uh, we just want to commend you and and give honor to you for your service to the Lord and His kingdom. Thank you for this opportunity to bear my testimony. I know that the gospel of Jesus Christ is true. And this is his church. And I, with all my heart, I know that if we will be faithful, we'll never be sorry. Thank you. Thank you. All right, that wraps it up for uh, for another episode of the uh, Book of Mormon Evidence uh, podcast and uh, the Come Follow Me series that we're doing here. Uh, we want you to tune in again uh, next time and uh, next week, and we'll have uh, more information. We'll be going through uh, more of the uh, of the Book of Mormon, and we are excited about uh, being able to share these podcasts with you. Uh, if you are enjoying the podcast, we'd like to give a, a thumbs up and uh, and a like, and uh, that would help uh, other people to know that uh, that these are have, have value to people, and that uh, hopefully this is blessing their lives. Thank you again. My friend, uh, Chauncey Riddle. Thank you for listening to the Book of Mormon Evidence Podcast. If you enjoyed this Come Follow Me supplemental study, click the like button or share it with your friends. Be sure to go to bookofmormonevidence.org where you can buy tickets to the upcoming Firm Foundation Expo held Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, April 9th, 10th, and 11th in Sandy, Utah. There will be three education-packed days, 80 distinguished speakers, 150 presentations and classes on Book of Mormon research, signs of the times, science and religion, self-reliance and health, 
constitutional studies, and world events. Make sure to get your early bird prices before February 24th. If you have any questions, please call Ryan at 801-931-9031.